Hello everybody, this is Dan Woods at Early Adopter Research and I'm here talking today with Michael Mahoney, VP of Worldwide Solutions Engineering at Kinetica. Uh, we recently wrote a really interesting white paper with Kinetica uh, about the how to become a data-powered organization. Um, it has an interesting theory about the progression of the use of data in business that I wanted to have Michael talk about a little bit. And I also wanted to just have him start off by saying, uh, you know, what do you think of Strata this year? We're here at the Strata conference, and you know, every year it's a little bit different, but if you look at five, or I, I'm not sure if it existed 10 years ago, but I think it might have, yes. 10 years ago, you know, it was a whole different ball game. Absolutely. And then this year, it's a different feel to it. How would you describe what's different about this year? Well, it, 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 that's a great question. Um, actually, and when I first went to Strata in a previous capacity, another another organization, it was a lot around talking about concepts or understanding the new the, the new type type of concepts around open source and Hadoop and what are all these different technologies to help support it. So it was almost a an educational uh, type event. Strata today comes to more of a, we've already understand the industry and marketplace. How does this fit into my business? What can you bring to additional value to what we're trying to solve as a company? And that's the, the kinds of questions we are getting more at today in this Strata. It's what can you do to help us either generate more revenue, reduce cost, improve our analytics capability to support the massive amount of data assets that we have to deal with. So it's, it's, it, it turned to be a little more of a business-related focus and a value focus. Well, it just seems like it, we've gone, you know, Jeffrey Moore style from the innovator segment, you know, yes. where it was all about the functions and features and speeds and right. feeds to the bowling ball segment in the early majority. That's a great you know, way to put it. You know, it. where it's all about the uh, use cases and the ROI that you can get off them and how not to screw right. them up. It is always fun to talk about features and functions, but yeah, yeah. Like it's... Uh, well, and so for people who don't know, Kinetica is a company that creates a GPU-powered database. It's a really fascinating technology because what it does is it, it, it embraces both sides of what's going on today. It has a SQL engine Correct. that allows you to you know, manage the data that you have and you know, do queries against it. And, and the way I always think of it is you've got a data scientist there cramming with the SQL, mashing things up, yes. doing it, and then being able to do it faster and better because it's a GPU-powered you know, implementation. So you can, use you can use it on huge data sets. But then it also has exits and user-defined functions and a lot of extensions so that you can then apply the advanced machine learning and AI algorithms to that set of data that you distill down you know, with the SQL. And then you can put the whole thing that you defined in, oper in, in, in operations. Yeah, and so, fantastic um, solution. It, you, you it, hit it. It's that. That's the the, the, the round trip. And so, the, the reason that this paper was important is that it basically talked about how, you know, it used when we started out, Hadoop was invented by you know Yahoo, right? And so Hadoop was there to to solve Yahoo's problem of creating that you know inverted index of the internet, and it was all well and good. And then that became a project. Uh, you know, I mean, MapR, MapReduce was invented by Google. Right. It was implemented yeah. by Yahoo, yeah. and then it became an open source project that became Hadoop, and it was all well and good. And I think that, you know, people then started to be able to afford to do big data projects, and it, it was, and then more and more companies had big data projects to do. And I think the point of this paper is that it's really important to prepare for a world in which everybody has 
a mass of data and how are you going to deal with that world? And so what Kinetic calls this is the extreme data economy. That is correct. Now, so now we, you know, it, it's just another name for what we're going through now, but how do you explain to your customers that you meet what you mean by the extreme data economy and why it's important? Well, it's, it, yeah, it's, that's a, a fantastic question. And when I first came into the company, what, four and a half months ago, it, it was something that I was thinking the same thing. And it, you know, when I looked at the, where it fits in this overall realm of, of, of what it means, to, to us, to Kinetica, and the way we talk about it is that extreme data is something more than just the big data concept where it's you know redefined what data warehousing was. It, it brought in a, um, an idea of data unpredictability with the combination of getting the need for having real-time insights in that data. So it's not just that we're storing data and having a, a data platform, it's, it's how do we how do we gain the insights in this very unpredictable world now that's, that information's coming in from all over the places, all different connected devices, into uh, the ability to actually realize and uh, gain some insights in that information. So we, we coined that around as an extreme data economy. It's just something that takes a little beyond the capability of what we saw in the big data, you know, the big data definition that we saw a few years ago. Well, one of the things I liked about the way we wrote the paper is that it actually makes it very concrete, you know, the trip from yes. where we were uh, to where we, we just arrived at, which the, the big data economy, mm -hmm. and, and then and to the extreme data economy. And so, I mean, to, to, and, and there's three categories of how data is used. The first is data validated. Yes. That's the traditional, you know, you know, ERP-oriented sort of applications. It's the world where, where I grew up on. Exactly, and also it still runs from. large parts of the world. It's, it's where data is, you know, validating your your right. your your um, your business decisions. Look behind in the rearview mirror. Exactly. See how we did. Exactly, and so that's that that era is the traditional data, the data validated business. But then the the next stage is the data in is the era of big data, and that's the data informed business. Yes. Now, how do you how would you say that the data informed business is different from the data validated business? Well, I mean, it just the, the very the very fact that we talked about is is that in the beginning it was it was more of a reverse looking. How do we do historically? How did we, you know, let's let's manage the information. Let's pull it from our transactional systems or, or applications, and look at things. You know. What did we do, you know, four or five months ago? Well, big data came along. The whole idea of data informed, and now we're bringing in more unstructured-based systems or unstructured-based information, social media, right, assets that were coming in that you never had to worry about in the older traditional data warehousing world. That was never even considered. So I think the data informed businesses understanding more, a little bit more in real time what's happening to the marketplace and how your how your success is from that standpoint. And that's where the big data uh, Adobe's uh, arena I saw started coming about. Well, you know, it's interesting because it seems like that maps pretty well to the technology. You know, yeah. you, you, you had in the traditional data world, the data warehouse powering everything. Yeah. And that was a very tightly integrated uh, uh, model of the business. And it was all about what has happened at the business and how is that, it created a common language. Yes. And I think that's one of the things that when people are, you know, move, say we need to move on from the, the, the data warehouse, I think that we don't need to move on from creating really good models of the business right. and really right. common languages of the business. We still need that. Exactly. You know, it's just that, that that's not the whole story. With the big data world, like you said, 
we now have go beyond that model of the business and look at more of like a model of the whole world, a model, more deeper models of the customer, more deeper models of other business activity that we can then bring together and, and, and create insights with. But now, that still was very, very much like the traditional world in that it was all about reports or dashboards or instances. Right. It wasn't really about the next phase. And the next phase is the extreme data you know, economy, and that's called a data-powered business. So how would you define the difference between a data-informed business and a data-powered business? Well, it actually it takes a little bit more in, in the realm of getting information in, in real time. It's getting instantaneous um, um, visualization capability of, that, of those assets. It, um, it allows you to, you know, in my mind, or what we see within Kinetica is, is the ability to actually allow streaming type assets coming into this while you're actually visualizing and analyzing and learning off the data to, to really gain some good insights. So it's all about the speed and the, the, the volume that's coming into to do that analysis. So in essence, the models become operational and they either are informing you in real time what's going on or they're actually making decisions making, yeah, and, exactly. and, 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 and powering activity. Yes. Now, you know, what the, the, the thing that I, I talked yesterday about with, with our friends from MapR was the fact that once you put uh, an autonomous you know, model in production, you're dealing with a whole different world where you may have to have the model that's right now the star of the show, and you may have to have the model that used to be the star of the show, and then you may have the model that you think is going to be the next star of the show, and you may have a few other models that are testing out hypotheses all running at the same time, Correct. all running in production, um, or at least using production data. Maybe, maybe only one of them is controlling what's going on. And, and, and so it seems like that making that, that, this is where we get to the operational you know, uh, kind of uh, right. uh, simplicity that's needed. If you have to do all of that by creating a huge amounts of scripts and, and massive amounts of you know, sysadmin stuff, you're never going to be able to do it. You know, right. what, what is the... Um, what is the approach that Connecticut has taken to productize this sort of operational infrastructure? Well, I think that um, that you see, you know, you talked about the different nuances or different models and testing, testing the data assets, and and there's a lot of skill sets around in the in, in the field to be able to create these models. I think the the problem is, or what the challenge is, to uh, in a very simple way to put these models in a performance environment to be able to process against the complete data asset and to be able to adjust in a very quick fashion to change it you know, based on the insights you got in the first model or things that we, we were derived in that first set to go ahead and, and modify and recreate and then rerun the model. So Kinetica essentially brings in a capability where you, you input the model through a feature what we call user-defined function. And essentially you are you're instantiating the function within the database itself. So it's not like a separate system, it's not like a separate application. You're working within the confines of the actual data itself to have these models learn. It's, a, it's something that's very unusual and you don't see a lot of people be able to do that, but it's, it's, it's showing, it's given us a lot of insight, getting customers a lot of insight on the capability. So in essence, when you actually do something and you're developing it, once you're done developing it, there is really no 
you know, production version. You just take what you developed and then Absolutely. you start using it in production. Absolutely. And, and there's there's a learning curve and there's a there's an audit trail. There's a improvement process for the model. So it's you can't think about, you know, you build a model, you build something that, that's going to be it and you're never going to go back and, and modify it. The idea is you have to learn from the data. And the data is going to teach it to and teach the model itself to, to improve or to go somewhere else. Now, the, the thing that makes all this possible is the fact that Connecticut can process data at very, very high speeds. That is, yes. And so, you know, what we haven't talked about is kind of like the core innovation of Connecticut, which began in military applications, in, in you know, very, very high value industrial applications where speed was a really important factor. And now, speed has become a factor in many, many more businesses, and that's why this is no longer a sort of a boutique defense department right. company, but a company that's more relevant to a lot more users. And so, you know, how would you explain to somebody who's new to this arena why it's important that you've refactored and reinvented a lot of things that already existed for 20 years, 30 years, like SQL, to run on the GPU rather than the CPU? Well, that, that's the key factor was the the, the challenge that we had to address when you talked about some of the, the, the initial customers that were looking at this technology, the challenges that we, we had to address were gaining insight in real time while streaming information from 200, 200 plus different sources simultaneously. And that challenge was, they looked at the marketplace and there was no way to address that in the current um, footprint, the hardware footprint that we saw in, in the market. So a traditional database CPU-based system was never going to be able to be, to, to be able to handle that. So the advent of NVIDIA's parallel capability with their GPUs was the way to go. So building something from scratch, building a, uh, a database that's columnar-based, so to be able to support the, the variety and unstructured format of data, but operating within a, uh, a highly performant GPU environment was the only way to go to be able to support these kinds of needs. And what you said is it, it's no longer boutique capability, it's a requirement now. Co companies are expected to get immediate insight on the data assets that they're getting pulled into their company. It's just, uh, well, you have to have But it. one of the things I really liked about the product when I first heard about it was the fact that you didn't abandon SQL. You know, you know, because that, I think, is a real mistake because even though SQL is, you know, a technology that has been around a long time and has got a very specific purpose, it's also a technology that was built with these deep computer science beauty to it. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the separation of the SQL language, which is high, completely declarative, from the implementation allows you to have SQLs that work like Teradata, you know, that do massive right. OLAP type stuff, or SQLs that work that are super high performance, you know, where you can have SQL on top of Redis, right. you know, and, and it's just right. blazingly fast, you know. And, and so, keeping in that channel of SQL and, and right. tapping into all of the existing people who have those skills, I think was a really uh, Im important decision on oh, your it, part. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. In fact, you know, it, I'm pr we're proud to say that we're SQL 92 compliance. We're proud to say that, you know, we're OLAP optimized. Uh, but on top of that, we've extended the SQL capability with additional um, aspects, additional features around location-based or geo geospatial type capabilities. So it's not, SQL is the core foundation, 
but you add additional capabilities or you can use additional functions within the system to extend that, you know, if I need to do location analytics, you know, I'm gonna do complex spatial joins. It does it within the framework of what we understand SQL is, you know, select columns, group by, sorts, join these tables, that kind of thing. Well, and in and, and the paper, I was really happy the, where, the way it came out because it, it, it provides a lot of very specific ways of embellishing what we've been talking yeah. about. For example, in one of the sections about, you know, what are the new paradigms required for the extreme data economy, it mentions static versus streaming data. And the bottom line there is you have to look for the ability to operationalize analysis of real-time data. Yeah. Disk-based versus memory-based processing. The bottom line there being the best solution optimizes the use of all tiers of storage and memory to consistently deliver an optimal mix of value and response time. CPU and GPU we just talked about. You know, the idea of the GPUs being able to process in parallel these massive matrix calculations that are crucial to AI and ML workloads. One thing we haven't talked about are two points that I'd like you to, 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 to address. The first is the idea of being location powered, you yes. know, as, as opposed to location agnostic. That's one of the things that was part of the DNA of the company because I correct. think because you were involved in so many military applications and also so many applications of like oil companies and things like that where, where geolocation was really important. What is the, how, how have you found companies that thought I would never care about geolocation discovering that they actually do? Well, I don't know if it's they never really cared about it. I think they never tried to approach it because it was such a complex subject and, and, and not a way to be able to address the needs. You know, so industries like telecommunication, you know, the governments for sure, um, some of the oil and gas-based industries all needed this capability to look at, analyze data based on location. And to be able to do that, it was either you're spending a lot of money to be able to handle it, or uh, you were just not addressing it at all. And so that's where what we did is integrate a lot of these kinds of geo-type functionality in the system itself. So if you feed in data into Connecticut, and it has a longitude latitude column, it understands immediately to put it onto a map. It knows exactly where to put it. It knows how to determine points from one point to another. So it has a spatial uh, view of the world to be able to, to look at the information. So it, it does some very complex thing based on the, the GPU system to be able to support it, but it gives now new insight that these customers can never get to anymore. And the second thing I wanted to talk about is this human-powered decision-making versus autonomous decision-making. And the bottom line in the paper is that the best system supports a smooth progression from insights created by analysts to those delivered as products to the business, to those that become a model for automated decision-making yeah. operations. So the idea is that you have the kind of lab, yeah. you know, where you, you figure out the analysis, then you have the uh, productization of that, the dashboard that the whole company right. uses, and right. then you have that black box that actually, you know, optimizes your ad spend or whatever it is <laughs> yes. that you're, you're yes. doing. And so, um, how is it that Connecticut helps people travel that road and, and feel comfortable about it? Because I think a lot of people don't feel comfortable until they've had their first few models in production, right. you know, that, 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 they're, that, they're, that, they're, that it's going to work right. Well, you just you talked about the kind of the, the journey of the human powered, the human powered kind of decision making where visualization happens, you get insight in the data, 
you kind of you can go back easily to the Kinetica model itself within the system and define more automated processes that you don't have to constantly go back and say, I'm going to redo this visualization. I'm going to relook at how this data is. So I'm going to create, you know, whether it's via SQL or whether it's via custom code or whether it's via machine learning type elements, it's based on the skill sets of who's using it, it's easily imported and integrated back into, into the Kinetica system. So then it's reused over and over again. So it, it actually makes the journey quite easy simple to go back into um, to add it to, to our environment. Got it. Well, I think we've done a good job of previewing the paper. There's a lot more to say. Oh, there's uh, tons more. Again, it's the fantastic. paper is called How to Become a Data-Powered Organization. If you Google that, uh, it'll show up on one of many excellently designed Connecticut landing pages, I'm sure. <laughs> and for, for the low cost of an email, you'll be able to download yeah, absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, Michael, it's really been uh, a pleasure to talk to you at uh, Strata this year, and I hope that we can talk next time. We're at a, another wacky data conference. Fantastic. Thank you very much.